Before we get started with today's episode, we just wanted to let you know that if you are interested in trying audiobooks or have been eyeing an Audible membership, you can get two free audiobooks when you sign up for a free trial at bookriot.com slash audible. Most free trial offers for Audible only give you one download with your 30-day trial, but we're giving you two. Audiobooks are a great way to work more reading into your life, whether it's during your commute, while you're cooking, while you're at the gym, or whatever. So go to bookriot.com slash audible to sign up for your free trial and get two free audiobooks. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Kidlet These Days, a Book Riot podcast. Kidlet These Days is your Kidlet connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Karina Yan Glazer, alongside Matthew Winner, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on May 22nd, 2019. So today we're going to jump right into this episode because we have so much to talk about and we are going to be talking today about school libraries and how vital they are to students, teachers, parents, and communities. So when I was growing up, my um, my family moved a lot. So we pretty much moved every year. So I was going to a different school, a new school almost every year. And um, it was really hard. And I always remember the very first thing I would do when I would get to a new school is find out where the school library was and spend pretty much the whole first week or second week in that school library during recess or during breaks because it was safe space for me. I knew the books on the shelves. They are familiar friends to me. And even though life was so scattered and so, you know, just jumping around from place to place all the time, I always knew that I could find familiar books on those bookshelves. So school libraries are very dear to my heart. And today we're going to be talking all about school libraries, why they're so important, and um, we're going to be book talking a whole bunch of books that celebrate libraries. You know, I'm a school librarian, and hearing you have those memories, Karina, is really, really special. I became a school librarian because of our school librarian, Louise Wall, someone I've talked about a lot as being my inspiration. We collaborated when I was interning. When I was hired as a fourth grade teacher at her school, we worked together every chance we could. I was a book advocate, but I learned a lot from the way she modeled book advocacy and centering a child and incorporating technology alongside literature. I am so grateful for my 14 years as a school librarian and to be connected to other school librarians. And so I'm glad we're talking about this. And I thought maybe I could set the tone by reading a poem for us. This is from an anthology called Jumping Off Library Shelves, a book of poems selected by Lee Bennett Hopkins and illustrated by Jane Manning. The poem is called Librarian. It's written by Joan Bransfield Graham, and it goes like this. How did you know? Can you read my mind? How do you always find the perfect book? You get that look in your eyes and there it is. Another surprise to savor. You watched, listened, sized me up from the start. You've been a friend. 
you read my heart. How about that? I love that. <laughs> that is so adorable and sweet. Nothing like starting off with a little library love. Yes. I'm very thankful to librarians, school librarians. And the work you do, Matthew, is just amazing. And I am so grateful that I had school libraries growing up because I do not know what I, what I would have done without them. They were so important to me. Well, and libraries have sort of changed and adapted over these generations since we were born, the generation between us and our kids, and our kids now are experiencing libraries a little bit differently, and school librarians run their libraries differently across the country based on the needs of their school. So I'm excited for us to get into that today. But first... This episode is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Each TBR delivery contains three titles in the recommendations-only level, or three new hardcovers, and you'll receive a new shipment every three months. Give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's M-Y-T-B-R dot C-O. So, Matthew, you and I have been doing a lot of reading about school libraries um, all over the country and looking up statistics and reaching out on Twitter to school librarians and having them share what their school libraries look like. And in our research, we were looking at a bunch of different articles. One was Education Week. And um, according to Education Week, they did a survey and it showed that the nation's public school districts have lost 20% of their librarians and media specialists since 2000 from more than 54,000 to less than 44,000 in 2015. Many districts lost librarians even as student populations grew by 7% nationwide. And they give an example in the Denver public schools. They showed that student enrollment increased by 25%, but the number of librarians decreased by 60%. And we'll link to all these articles in the show notes as well. Um, We have a former librarian, Kelly Jensen, who works at Book Riot, and she um, has been writing a lot of wonderful articles about school librarians. And one of them is titled, um, Spokane Eliminates School Librarians, Continuing Trend of Disappearing School Libraries. And she reports that last month in Washington, officials announced that librarians would be laid off at the end of the school year. And that's only one, you know, one area in Washington. And this is happening in places all over the country. For example, Arlington Public Schools, which is outside of Washington, D.C., is proposing the elimination of school library assistance in the coming year, while Antioch Unified School District in the East Bay Area of California proposes eliminating school librarians to save district cash. And they're this is happening in so many different areas, um, El Paso, Oxnard School District in California, and so many more. 
We'll have all of the studies you're showing linked in our show notes, but I want to say to you as a librarian, Karina, that this unfortunately is not new. When I was going through library school, keeping in mind that school librarians are a, a, an advanced degree position. Mm-hmm. We hold master's degrees in uh, in school library media or in um, your MLS and the master's of library science. These positions being cut are are challenging to see, but it's something that back when I started in library school, we were already hearing to be visible, that the most important thing we can do is to show others what we're doing. And I think that that's not always a natural thing for individuals or educators to do, to be uh, announcing the things you're doing, cheerleading the things you're doing, your program, to be calling attention to you that's hard to do. It really actually requires many people to be championing your program. Uh, it's it's something that I think about often how a principal, when you're a really good, solid teacher, they don't often, you know, go to all of the principal meetings and, and brag about what a great librarian they have at their school. But boy, do they ever talk when there's a staff member in their school that they are challenged by, that they um, think is maybe not up to par. So I was curious uh, what the nation looks like for for those schools that don't have full-time school librarians, that their students don't have access to full-time school librarians. And so as said, you and I did a quick poll over Facebook and over Twitter asking folks, where do you live and do you have a full-time school librarian? We heard back from uh, people all over the country with full-time libraries employed in schools like Decatur, Alabama, and K-8 public schools in Houston, Texas, private school in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, every public school in Fort Mill School District, Rock Hill School District, Chester County School District, South Carolina. We heard all about all over South Carolina that that's been a requirement statewide. Selena, Ohio, Polly, Pennsylvania, Green Bay, Wisconsin, all public schools in these areas, let al- and in addition to Maryland, my state, have full-time certified school librarians. It was great to hear that affirmation. Yes. But, you know, we also heard where there are not full-time librarians currently, including public schools in Los Angeles, California, middle schools in Houston, Texas, private and or religious elementary schools in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Selena, Ohio also notes that Every school has a library aide, but there's just one school librarian for the entire district. Yeah, I found the responses really interesting, it's especially the ones where there were um, people talking about that they were the only librarian in the whole district and oversaw like nine school libraries with thousands yeah, I thought that too. of kids. Mm-hmm. To have school library positions cut a few years ago, a number of the people that responded said, I was the librarian and my job was cut. And so I had to move to a different location or that they've been cut for years. It's so hard to get those jobs back once you take them out of the budget, asking for that amount of funding back in. Worse off, some of these um, school libraries have been eliminated, not just the the librarian position, but the actual library itself. Right. And I, you're talking millions of dollars to bring those back. Right. I was 
I was talking to my younger daughter. She's nine when um, I was picking her up after class and we were heading back to school for science night. And I was telling her I needed to record tonight for the podcast. And she asked what the topic was. And I told her school libraries. And she's like, oh, I love my school library. It's so wonderful. And I had to say to her, I was like, you are very lucky that you have a school library. You know, we've been hearing from a lot of educators all across the country that they don't have a school library or that, you know, one school librarian oversees so many different schools. And she was just so sad because, I mean, she goes to the school library every single day. Like her relationship with the, with the two school librarians in our school, she's so lucky, um, is just, it's just priceless. It's amazing the relationship you develop with a librarian. They know what you like to read. They know how to push you a little bit to go beyond um, what you're comfortable with, expand your horizons. So that was an interesting conversation with her. Right. And you're in New York where one person on Twitter mentioned to me that she wasn't aware of any school librarians in the New York schools that she has been in contact with. So to know that that even perhaps schools right next door to where your children go don't have that access, not only to the library, but to a certified librarian that is there to support literacy, to support building those research skills, that global citizenship Mm -hmm. piece of school librarianship. There's so many of these different pieces that I don't think folks necessarily know what a librarian does. In fact, I have proof of that because as it stands right now, Michigan ranks 47th in the student to media specialist ratio. Only 8% of Michigan schools as of right now have a full-time certified media specialist. And we'll post a link to that article published on Book Riot about a potential bill to reinstate librarians as an essential school staff in Michigan. But again, that stuff costs money. Thankfully, there's been a lot of talk on nationally syndicated podcasts and news shows like 99% Invisible and This American Life, where they're talking about what the role of school librarians and public librarians looks like now and the power and the strength of school librarians. But it's that talking, that talking that we need to be doing, talking about why libraries are important. Do you hear people, Karina, talking about their libraries and, and the importance? And I, I guess I mean this outside of outside of a, <laughs> a library conference, out, when you're out with friends when you is it just your daughter that loves the library or or hopefully are the people around you also talking positively about libraries oh yeah i mean i think it's um indisputable that at least everyone in my circles feels like the library is so essential and you know i do a lot of traveling as a children's book writer and i visit lots of different communities and sometimes when i'm touring for a book you know, I'll go to a city and um, usually those school visits are sponsored by a bookstore and that bookstore will will organize my trip. So I'll visit, you know, three different schools and libraries. And there is a huge range of what I see. There are some really gorgeous, fully funded libraries where um, there are multiple school librarians on staff, and then there are other schools where there is a part-time librarian who, you know, is is not there very often, and it shows in terms of how the library feels. So, you know, to have a 
fully functioning school library that requires resources. And I think as a country, we need to recognize how essential it is to have those resources for our students. I agree. And, you know, listeners, write to us at kidlitthesedays at bookriot.com. Tell us about your school libraries. Do you work in a school library? Do you love your school librarian? We want to hear what those school libraries look like for you and and be able to share and affirm uh, hopefully lots and lots of really wonderful stories and memories of school libraries. We brought a very special guest with us today, someone that uh, is very well known in the school library community. Perhaps you know this guest as well. So the role of the school librarian, as said earlier, has changed a, a lot since we were in school, since our listeners were in school. If your school had a school librarian even, So here to talk to us about school libraries and the importance of school librarians of all types is John Schumacher, better known to most as Mr. Shu. John Shu's current role is Ambassador of School Libraries for Scholastic. He's also a lecturer at Rutgers, and in 2014, he served on the Newberry Committee as a Newberry Committee member. He is also a writer, and his debut picture book titled This is a Story is slated to publish in 2020 from Candlewick with illustrations by Lauren Castillo. Here is Mr. Shu. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for having me here on the podcast. I'll never forget the first time I met you. It was actually within a Google document, and we were planning Poem in Your Pocket Day. And at that time, I was a teacher librarian at Brook Forest Elementary School in Oak Brook, Illinois. And I was the teacher librarian there for nine years. And before becoming the teacher librarian at Brook Forest Elementary School, I was a third grade teacher for three years, a fourth grade teacher for one year. And I left my full-time school library position to become the ambassador of school libraries for Scholastic three years ago. Mr. Shu. Yes. <laughs> Mr. The Mr. Shu. I've known you as John. I'm My John. friend John. I'm, John. I'm John. We also, not only was it, um, was it doing poem in your pocket day, I also remember uh, having our classes vote on the mascot that would yeah. go with you on yeah, summer trips, and road all the different contest. things we would do. Um, you're a dear friend of mine and uh, a advocate for libraries, and just someone that I think the world of. And since we're talking about libraries here on the podcast, I uh, and Karina and I just thought there's no one better to ask than than someone who not only knows libraries but knows librarians. And and in your position as uh, ambassador, you're getting a chance to speak to our nation about libraries mm-hmm. and to our nation's librarians. Um, so you said you were in the classroom. First though, what called you to being in the library? Yeah, so I did third grade for three years. And during my second year as a third grade teacher, I enrolled in a graduate program that was a master's in teaching and leadership. And halfway through the program, we had to do a project where we had to evaluate a periodical. And so I, of course, went to my school librarian to see yeah. if she had any <laughs> periodicals. And she was not actually there. She had already left for the school day. And so I had to look through her desk to try to find a periodical (laughs) without invading her space. And the very first periodical I came upon was an issue of School Library Journal. And I went home that evening and I read the entire thing and I started to research library schools. And I remember thinking, do you drop out of the current graduate program that you're in or do you finish it and then enroll in library school when you're done? And so I finished the first degree and then two weeks after I graduated, I started my MLS. And so I feel 
feel like because of an issue of School Library Journal, I found my way to librarianship because I saw that all of the awesome things people were doing in school libraries was what I wanted to be able to do with the entire school. Right. And I really saw that libraries had changed a lot since I was a kid. I did not have a very positive relationship with the school library as a child. Hmm. And so I think in many ways I was like fearful of the position, but it was, it was the perfect place for me to be because every day I got to celebrate story with kindergartners and fifth graders. Yeah. And now as the ambassador of school libraries, I meet approximately 100,000 students every single year. And in some weeks I meet 3000 kids. Some weeks I meet 4,000 kids and I get to talk to them about their reading lives. I get to talk about my reading life. Mm. I get to share my heart through story with them. I get to learn about the books of their hearts. I get to tell them about the books of my heart. Mm. And I feel that with every presentation and every kid and every teacher and every teacher librarian who I get to spend time with, they're tattooing all of these really beautiful messages on my heart. Yes. And whenever I'm in a school and whenever I'm speaking to teachers or librarians or board members or administrators or politicians, I get to remind them and tell them if they don't already know about the importance of school libraries and the importance of school librarians. And, and I believe in my role, my mission is to remind people that every child deserves to go to a school with a full-time school librarian. And every child deserves to go to a school with a librarian who has a budget. That having a school librarian, having a school librarian should never be seen as a privilege, but as a right. And I am just so grateful to have a, a to be in a position where I get to advocate for the work that you're doing in your library. <laughs> so thank you for all that you do and all the advocacy that you do. Um, what to, can I ask yeah. you to, to come to the place of, of being able to see that however it was in your library position, that it might not have been that way for others across the country, where did you feel that 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 compulsion to to fight for be it the children mm -hmm. the libraries the teachers because i think some people m may be comfortable just being in their own space mm -hmm. there's obviously a lot of work to be done locally and a lot of work to be done globally um and you chose to 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 take that risk of going globally. Yeah. Well, when you're talking, I was thinking of something that Pemunez Ryan once said. She said, school libraries are a safe haven, often for the student we least suspect. Mm. And I feel like when we cut libraries and we cut librarians, so often we know that we're cutting the only safe place okay. in that library. And as you know, as a school librarian, the kids that come to the library before school and after school, the kids who often don't speak up in any classes right. throughout the day, but in the library, the place where story lives and often the place that has the biggest heart in the school, because it is the heart of the school, is the place where kids find a home. Um, and as we know, so many kids and, and, and so many adults find their home through books. Like Dreamers is a picture book, Dreamers, about yeah. you know finding your place in a library and finding yourself through picture books and yourself through story. So I think it's easy to advocate for something when you see what happens when it goes away. That makes right? sense. And also, like, I, I think a lot about that we need to have circles of safety. In, within school. So it's something that Simon Sinek writes about. And whenever I'm in a school, I just pause and I feel around me, does this place have a circle of safety in the gym, in the library, in the cafeteria? And so often I can feel it 
the most when I'm in the library. Oh, that's great. Because you can feel like you can feel the the librarian wants to spread joy and wants to spread love and wants to spread kindness. And as I travel around this country, something that I hear all of the time is that librarians no longer feel joy when they're going to school because of testing and because of mandates and because of saying you can no longer read aloud to your students. And I always say to them, like, go back to that thing that brought you into this profession and the thing in your day that, that brings you the most joy. And, and for lack of better words or expression, I feel like oftentimes I give librarians permission to do their jobs again, to do it again. Or they say to me, like, I've been feeling guilty about certain things and hearing what you had to say reminded me why I love being a librarian. So put ourselves in check. And I, and I meet librarians every day who inspire me and fill me with, with just endless joy Good. and kids who fill me with endless joy. We're talking on topic today about library programs being threatened, about library programs being uh, funding running out, um, but things happening like that. And, and often I think it's happening because people don't understand what's going in the library, mm-hmm. but you've been in position to be able to, as you're saying, advocate to board members, advocate to principals, what is some of the language or some of the reasons you're giving these yeah. individuals that, that you find are tangible for these individuals? Because Well, so often, I know Donalyn Miller and Jennifer Lagarde often talk about, like, we, we fund what we value, right? Mm, okay. And if you don't fund libraries and you don't fund independent reading, you're saying that we don't value, don't value reading. Them. So often it's reframing that with, with, with board members and with like with um, uh, superintendents and principals, like having a conversation about what do you truly value, and those are the things which you fund, and giving them like reasons why you should be funding uh. school libraries. And I think is what I often talk about in my presentations, what I think about all the time is what does what does a library tattoo on someone's heart. Right? Does it tattoo love? Does it tattoo light? Does it tattoo laughter? Because I want all libraries to tattoo on everyone's hearts all of those things, right? So that when they grow, when the child grows up and they become a politician or they become a board member, that so many positive things about libraries are tattooed on their hearts that they can't possibly say that's something that we should cut, right? Got it. Because they see the value. And unfortunately, so many of our colleagues, our teacher colleagues, have grown up without libraries. They're Correct. without school libraries. Without school libraries. And so they don't know what they're missing. Right. And so it's like oftentimes when I'll be talking about the work that I did in my library and the work that I see in others' libraries and the work that I do in libraries around the country, when I share that with teachers, oftentimes they're like, that happens in a school library because they never had that experience. They just don't know. Yeah. And I think part of the problem comes from teacher prep programs that I don't know of very many teacher prep programs that have a strong that have a, a class right that's about how to work with your school librarian what is the role no. of a school librarian like that that bridge much of it between, is self-contained it's not often reaching out to collaborate with others yeah, yeah. or that's the that's <clears throat> the best the biggest role of a school librarian as you know is it's that flipped. a collaborator Correct. and a teacher in every room and a teacher for everyone and servicing yeah servicing everyone that service-oriented position really calls us to to connect and to lift up and and to see the strength in everyone in that building. Often what you're saying being the heart of the building, but it's the it's the one that helps to remind everyone of the lifeblood that's yeah. flowing throughout the building, isn't it? Um so I 
I hear so many beautiful things from you. And I'm so grateful for the way that all of these individuals that you've come into contact with have been able to express to you and imprint on you and, and allowed you to, to, to carry you with yeah. them. They remind me of how important story is. I'm grateful And for stories that. are, right? What is... Their stories, my story, all of our stories. It's our story. Uh, so so as, as we wrap up, your role as, <laughs> yeah. as Scholastic Ambassador has brought you in, into, you know, um, working with a lot of different librarians and all of these different stakeholders in the building. And I'm wondering in which ways their work has impacted yeah. you, if you have changed yeah, this from leaving the, stepping out of your library and going to serve all libraries. Yeah. I think I've become a better listener. I've become a more critical listener. And a lot of that comes from the work of Dr. Sayantani Dasgupta. I've been reading a lot about narrative medicine and her role at Columbia University is to teach healthcare providers how to listen critically and in socially just ways. And we don't have time to go into all of her work, but you should, anybody out there listening should read we'll about the, the work of narrative medicine because I believe there's so much can be that can be applied to libraries and to classrooms and to individual relationships. Mm. And this is how I have grown the most, Matthew. When I'm standing in front of a room of kids, something always happens at about minute five. And I usually talk to like 200 to 300. So last week I spoke to 450 um, fifth graders at one time. And when you're out there, you're like, there's so many of them. How is this going to go? It's like every presentation is the first day of school. That's wow. how it feels. It feels wow. like it's the first day of school. This could go really well or not so well. It, all, it always ends up going well because we, we all connect in some way. But, five the stories. In. but this is what always happens is you can start to see all of these hearts opening. And um. I can feel my heart opening more. Because as you know, as educators, when we're genuine with kids, they see it right away. They see us. And they yep. can start trusting. These kids come in not knowing me. I mean, I'm like the substitute teacher who's who's coming in. And sometimes they know everything about my background. Sometimes they don't. And when they come in, they often come in closed. And most of them leave open. And I leave even more open. Because so much of their just joy and their energy truly like permeates me and motivates me and inspires me more to go out and spread more love and spread more kindness and, and find ways to connect with kids through story and encourage educators to connect with kids through story. So I feel like every day I'm changed. And something that I do when I, as soon as I get to the car after a school visit or, every, or any presentation, I write like a page of notes about the kids who I met, things that I heard, people I saw. And if I'm having a bad day, I look back at that and I'm reminded of all of the love that's out there and all of the kindness that's out there and all the teachers and librarians who are working endlessly to make the reading lives of kids better. You see them. You see, I see them. People. Yeah. Yeah. John, thank you for, for <laughs> no, seeing thank us. You. Thank you for seeing Thank you for all children. you do and all the kids and teachers and librarians that you advocate for. And now it's time for a favorite segment of the podcast. It's time to talk books, yes. Karina. And, and this time, time to talk about library-centered books. Ooh, <laughs> so excited about this. I like it. <laughs> we were talking before recording about the mountains of books we both have to share. So listeners, I'm going to remind you one more time. We're going to talk fast, but... All of these books will be linked in the show notes. Just go to bookriot.com slash listen. Find this episode, episode six of Kidlit These Days, and we'll have everything there waiting for you. Yeah. 
Karina, you want to sure. start us off? First of all, so excited that Mr. Shu is on our podcast. He's so awesome. <laughs> and I cannot wait for his uh, picture book to be coming out in 2020. It just sounds amazing. I can't wait. All right. With Lauren Castillo, nonetheless, Baltimore Yay, native. Baltimore. Yay. <laughs> okay. So we are going to talk fast because we don't have a lot of time. So my first recommendation is Booked by Kwame Alexander. There is an awesome school librarian in this book named Mr. Mack. And instead of describing him to you, I am just going to read um, the chapter about Mr. Mack in his book. And it's the, okay, so this book is written in verse, if you aren't familiar with it. And it's titled Skip McDonald. The Mac is a corny joke-cracking, seven-foot bowling fanatic with a reddish mohawk who wears funny t-shirts and high-top Converse sneakers. He used to be a rap producer, but now he only listens to whack elevator music because, he says, hip-hop is dead. When I ask him who killed it, he says ringtones and objectification, which is reason number one why he left the music business at age 29 to become, get this, a librarian? Reason number two is the brain surgery he had two years ago that left him with a scar that runs across his head from his left ear to his right. But he's the coolest adult in our school, and to prove it, he's got a Grammy Award for Best Rap Song sitting right at checkout in plain view for everyone to see and touch. Plus, he's won Teacher of the Year more times than Brazil has won the World Cup. And he's not even a teacher. So when he gets all geeked about his nerdy book club or breaks into some random rap in the middle of a conversation, most people smile or clap because we're all just happy the Mac's still alive. Your turn, Matthew. Oh, oh I, I like know, that. So awesome. I like that. Although I will say, Kwame Alexander, that I also have a teacher. <laughs> just saying. I am totally a teacher, yes. too. Just saying. Love her books. Just saying. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about The Librarian of Basra. It's a true story from Iraq. Um, the picture book that I was most aware of is written by Jeanette Winter. And it came out in 2005 based on an event from 2003. But they also have released a nonfiction book um, called Alia Mohammed Baker, Saving a Library from War by Lindsay Bakker. And this book is a true story of a woman who saved a library uh, in Iraq during the Iraq war, um, a library that, that uh, a town was being looted. Um, the town of Basra um, center uh, <laughs> government center of, of Iraq uh, was being looted for the tables, the chairs, the nice furniture, but the library also contained many, many important historical documents that uh, would have been lost to history through the bombing, through um, through future looting, or through fires. The, 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 the library actually ended up burning down. But the true story of Alia Mohammed Baker is that she was the head librarian and actually was sneaking books out of the library when she knew that it was under threat. And a restaurant owner um, next door actually helped her. Um, and they stored all the books in his library, and actually, uh, after they cleared as much of, uh, as they could, about 30,000 books, the British troops came to the restaurant and thankfully didn't find all of these books that he had 
hidden or else they could have thought that he had stolen them. And again, they could have been lost. Um, but thankfully, um, her work has saved a significant part of Iraq's history. Uh, so finding out true stories of librarians that are in that way, in no small way, I guess, saving the world, saving a country's history are something that I, I want to make sure that we, we're centering uh, in our stories of libraries, because come on, like who, who is saving the history? Yes. It's a librarian. I ah, haven't read that can't. story yet. I really need so to good. put it on my TBR. The Librarian of Basra. That picture book, when I read it, felt it didn't feel like it was mm. happening in 2003. Um, the author's note definitely notes that, but then reading that nonfiction book with illustrations of or not with illustrated, with photographs of Alia Muhammad Baker with uh, the, the, the nonfiction book came out in 2015. So you, you can also learn sort of what has happened in the years following. And so um, having that connection between picture book, nonfiction picture book and um, a nonfiction informational book, yeah, I think is I'm really powerful too. All right. My next pick is, I think this is a pick that um, we both had. It's called That Book Woman by Heather Henson. It's illustrated by David Small, who is one of my absolute favorite illustrators. He also illustrated a book um, called The Library that is written by his wife, Sarah Stewart. Have you read that? And he has a new book coming yeah, out he with, does. with Sarah yeah, about I don't books. remember, I can't it, remember but what I read it's called. it. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. Though. It's like a poem, and yeah, it's beautiful. So yes. that book, woman, is set in the Appalachian Mountains. It's a picture book, and it centers around this boy named Cal who doesn't love to read. He loves working with his father, and he likes roaming around the land. But books is really not his thing. But then there's this woman that keeps coming. Um, all the time. She comes in all types of weather and she comes up the side of the mountain where he lives and brings books. And his sister um, loves reading the books. And Cal is wondering why she's spending all this time traveling and bringing books to people. And the story is all about him thinking about that and maybe starting to take a peek at some of the books himself. And it's just a gorgeous, super sweet book. It's, it's really lovely. I love that. I have a picture book that um, I'm really grateful that my public library had because I had not yet read it. But in doing research for this episode, I found Write to Me, Letters from Japanese American Children to the Librarian mm. They Left Behind by Cynthia Grady and illustrated by Amiko Hiro. And this is a true story of Miss Breed, a uh, librarian in San Diego who was so special to her students, uh, many of whom were then sent to Japanese internment camps. And she stayed in contact with them. When she learned that they would be moved, she gave them all postcards, stamped postcards, and she mm. asked them to write to her. And she continued to send boxes of books and support them and be their librarian remotely. And then when they went to the prison camp, she as well uh, stayed in contact. The book is beautifully illustrated and it maintains the notes sent from children and also has historical photographs. I found it moving and powerful and was a story that I did not know before, but one that, that I will continue to tell uh, as I encounter librarians. Uh, so 
that that was one that I can't wait for others to discover so I can talk about it with people. Write yeah, to me. I had never amazing. heard of it before. All right. I have a middle grade book next. It's called The Tiny Hero of Fernie Creek Library. It's written by Linda Bailey, illustrated by Victoria Jameson. And this book is great for younger middle grade readers. Um, so um, I would say second graders who, who read or read pretty confidently can read it. It's super sweet, um, but also great for third through fifth grade. And it's about this tiny green bug named Eddie who loves to read. And he lives in a fourth grade classroom with his whole family. And one, one day his aunt um, goes missing and he so Eddie has to go looking for her and he finds this um, nefarious plot by a substitute librarian who wants to close the school library for good and get rid of all the books and Eddie is really upset and he's very inspired by all these small creatures from E.B. White's um, wonderful books, uh, Stuart Little and Charlotte's Web. And he's inspired by all the, the things that small creatures can do to save a life or um, do something amazing. So he has a plan to save this library and it's super sweet. And I've given this book to lots of young readers and my daughters both loved it. So yes, check that one out. Oh, I love that. I have, um, watching our time, one more story that's actually a local story. Did you know that the first bookmobile in the U.S. was in Hagerstown, Maryland? I did not know that. Super fun to know. There's a great nonfiction book called Library on Wheels, Mary Lemmis Titcomb and America's First Bookmobile. It tells the story of this woman who was driven by libraries. She read a lot growing up, and so she found herself working in a library. She found her calling working in a library. And the um, Chicago World's Fair was going on with, at the time, then ALA, American Library Association President Dewey Melville of the uh, well-known Dewey Decimal yeah. System, was heading up that uh, area. And she wanted to present in the women's building, or she wanted to volunteer in the women's building. Uh, and he said, um, to, Melville is quoted as saying, however admirable Ms. Titcomb's work may have been with you, Rutland Free Library in Vermont, she has not made herself known outside. He really wanted people that were sort of known all throughout the, mm. the country, not just whoever this woman was. But boy, did she end up making a name for herself by being in Hagerstown, Maryland, is in Western Maryland. It's in uh, the mountainous area of Maryland. And there were a lot of people that didn't have access to the library or to books. Uh, but this man hired Mary and supported her vision. And she not only transformed their library, developing a children's section and, and making it a space that checked out books to people, because at the time, most libraries were research mm -hmm. libraries, but she made a circulating library that was ahead of its time. And uh, she not only made a circulating library, but made a library that went out to its people, to its community, first as a horse-drawn wagon, uh, which tragically was actually hit by a train, oh, um, wow. but then as a as a motorized mobile, the horse survived, but the cart was stuck. Oh. So, um, but amazing story happened in Maryland. I love that and has influenced, has continued to influence uh, the entire nation. And actually, um, Washington County. Uh, where Hagerstown is in Maryland, uh, still is very prominent in their work with bookmobiles. Her legacy is is still alive and well. Wow. 
I have to look, <clears throat> look that up. Um, I have one more recommendation, super quick. Um, this is called Tomas and the Library Lady by Pat Mora. <laughs> by Pat Mora, illustrated by Raul Colon. And it's about um, this young kid, Tomas. He's the son of migrant workers, and his family travels throughout the country, Texas to Iowa. They spend a lot of days on the field, and Tomas grows up learning all the stories from his grandfather. And then his grandfather tells him that there are more stories in the library, and Tomas heads to the library and finds a whole new world. Um, opening up for him. And it also remind me of a book that we talked about in episode one, um, a book that that we both loved called Dreamers by Juji Morales. Yes. And um, she has a really beautiful spread about um, first encountering a library for the first time in America. And it's just such a beautiful illustration. I just love it. I have two books that, that I didn't get to talk about. Yeah, I just yeah, wanted I to them. Throw to them. I, I'll link them in the show notes. But one is another throwback: "Planting Stories: The Life yes. of Librarian and Storyteller Pora Belpre" yes. by Anika Aldme Denis, and illustrations by Paolo Escobar. And also, there's a wonderful story, again a nonfiction story called "Biblioboro: A True Story from Colombia about a man who brought a library through donkeys um, to uh, a neighborhood, uh, and that's by Jeanette Winter as well. So. Yay, all the Yay. books, I promise we will link to them all in our show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. Make sure you go there and bring that list to your local library. Yes, and thank you so much for joining us. And we've had a great time talking about school libraries. Thank you for putting up with us as we try to talk really fast to get all this information in for this one podcast. As <laughs> always, we would love your feedback on this podcast and always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you also help other people find us. You can find me, Karina Yan Glazer, on Twitter at... Karina Yan Glazer and on Instagram at Karina is reading and writing. And you can find me, Matthew Winner, on Twitter at, at Matthew Winner or on the Children's Book Podcast, which you can listen to on your favorite podcast app. If you have a story idea, a book recommendation, anything at all, please reach out to us on social media or email us at kidlitthesedays at bookriot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to hear next on the show. May your coming days be storied and may the good stories keep on coming.